just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, 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 no. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And oh, we've reached We've done it. It's the final day of the Ozark Mountain UFO Conference. Oh, man. It's been quite a journey. In Arkansas. We've had a great time. Oh, man. This was a great trip. Yeah. And we're excited to go back for our final talk and speakers panel. Now, this does not conclude our summer of UFOs. No, sir or ma'am. But it is our final day at Ozark in particular. Or miss. Some people get really upset if you call them ma'am. Or Ms. My mom included. Okay, well, if your mom's listening, Ms. Ms. So first up. Travis Walton. Ooh, boy. Okay, so this was the other talk that I was really excited about. I think this and Stanton Friedman were the real selling points for me of the whole conference. Nothing to do with owls, but okay. Travis Walton, you may know as the logger who was abducted in the story of Fire in the Sky. Yeah, and you'd watched the movie before this. Yeah, for the first time, like just a few days before. It'd been a few years since I'd seen Fire in the Sky, so it wasn't too clear in my head. But it's one of the most famous abduction cases of all time. It is on Amazon. You can rent it for a few bucks. There you go. That's how I watched it. It had Robert Patrick in it. (sighs) It's so boring. Who's awesome. It is a boring film. Not not the greatest film. Yeah. Yeah. But may I recount the story of the film for you? Please do it. A logger and his friends. So several loggers are driving in the wilderness and they see a glowing orb off in the distance. They stop their truck. One of them, who's kind of the prankster among them, the daredevil, he gets out and walks toward it. And they're all like, Travis, what are you doing? Get back in the car. And Travis is just like, no, I want to go toward it. And he goes toward it. As he approaches it, he sees that it's not just like a funny light off in the distance or a fire. It is a UFO, a flying saucer. <gasps> and his friends see it too. And the saucer shoots out an electrical current that electrifies him and throws him to the ground. And his friends see this happen and they're freaked out. They think he's dead. Yeah. They drive back into town. and They don't see him for a few days. Uh, the whole town takes him for dead. And then a few days later... He arrives back in town in a fugue state, doesn't remember what happened to him, and has to be hypnotically regressed in order to recount his memories of what turns out to be an alien abduction. There you have it. Yep. That's uh, a pretty good summary of his abduction experience. And uh, I think this was the worst example of them drawing out an introduction for a speaker. Oh, yeah. Because it's 9 o'clock a.m., supposed to get started, and <sighs> and so they play their little video intros of him being at previous talks, but then they launch into this video that is a summary of his kind of media history. Yes. And you can see on the VLC media player that it's 13 minutes. Incredible. Right? And so they're showing clips But that from- was just part of it. There were two videos and it ended up being 18 minutes total. Yeah. They would show a clip of him being on a talk show and they'd start with like the actors D.B. Sweeney and Robert Patrick coming out. And so we're watching all of this with them like, why are you showing this? Yeah, that's not even him. That's a guy who played him. We don't him. need to see this. And then they show him come on the show. Okay, that's fine. And then they show like a little super cut reel from that film. 
You're like, mm-hmm. okay, what you're going to summarize the film? Okay. And so we watched that for many minutes, and then it's showing other like news reports and little talking head interviews. And we're like, just let the guy talk. Yeah. Now, they did also say, and this would be a repeated point, that Travis's experience is the most extensively documented UFO experience in history. Yeah. Bold claim. Yeah. And I remember hearing that and thinking, okay, extensively documented. He had like six of his buddies there. But how else could it be extensively documented other than just him telling his story? Yeah, I think extensively documented might mean told in many versions. Ah. Like Jesus is extensively documented, but it might just mean we have at least four gospels. Oh, okay. Like meaning lots of people have covered this topic. Yes. Gotcha. And so when he finally did come up, he said right off the bat that the film itself was very much a Hollywood version and very different from what actually happened. But I never really got anything that he said that seemed like it was substantially different than the film. So there was only one thing that I heard that I was like, okay. That you would give him yeah, Yeah, so the thing that I found was different and that to me rang as important at least was when the truck full of, of loggers comes up to the light at first, he said, well, we, we drove up and we saw something off in the distance and we all thought it was a fire. And at that point, it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. So in the movie version, they drive up and they see this thing in the sky and they're all like, whoa, what the fuck is that? And he gets out of the car and they're all like, Travis, what are you doing? Where are you going? Uh? And then they all see this UFO and they're all like, oh, my God. But he said, no, it was more like we were all like, oh, what's that? That's weird. And he gets out of the car and they're all like, oh, Travis, like, come on, get back in. You know, it's like a lot lower key. And then as he goes off, he sees that it's a UFO. But the implication was they might still just be like, we see something shiny and bright, but we couldn't tell you exactly what it is. And then they saw him get thrown and got freaked out, but still maybe didn't identify it as a UFO until he did. Okay. Well, that's so Hollywood. Yeah, I I, I came out of this very confused as to what they were seeing in this moment. Yes. Because- Which is critical. Yes. And they all seem to sign on to this experience, but you never get a clear indication of what they're actually agreeing to having seen right it's worth mentioning that like this is kind of how humans operate like that experiment where you show people a line of hatch marks and say um are these all the same length and if there's just one person who hasn't been instructed to lie but (laughs) the others are told to lie and everyone's like yeah those are all the same length then the person who will agree with the confederates lie will be like yeah yeah okay yeah i feel that might be a play here i agree yeah he sets the stage for us he retells essentially his whole abduction experience experience and contrast it compares it with the film he says that this all happened in the ponderosa pine forest in arizona he mentioned that that part of the country has the second highest occurrence of lightning after the everglades which might be relevant information he agreed that they were sleepy said they weren't drinking or anything like that he said there were seven of us not six i'm thinking oh Oh, hollywood hollywood uh And he mentioned that people tried to say it was like the moon or something. Uh, It filled up the entire sky. Last time I checked, the moon doesn't do that. That was a good laugh line with Mm -hmm. the audience. So he saw this gigantic UFO. It was frightening and beautiful. It was metallic and glowing. And in the movie, they showed it's like burning lava. No, it was more like burning steel or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, oh, those movie people are so deceitful. (laughs) 
<laughs> he then jumped. By the way, he's still selling this movie at his table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the book. This is just so deceiving. Would you like a copy? And the first day when we saw him there, no one was lining up. And so we just mm-hmm. had like total access to Travis Walton because, yeah, no one really seemed interested in him or his book or anything. But there's a new documentary about him called Travis that he seems to think is more accurate. Yeah, that's interesting. The saucer was metallic and glowing, but not blinding. He said you could look at it. Mm-hmm. So he moved back behind a log, and that's where he received this electric shock that threw him back 20 feet. Yeah, he joked about that, the sense of false security hiding behind a log. Mm-hmm. And yeah, got zapped. So his friends saw that or or something like that. And took off. And actually, as he said this, this is really funny. In Eureka Springs right then, there was this huge uh, thunder thunderstorm going on. Right. So he says, and my friends just took off. And right then there's this big... And the room like, kind of shakes. Everyone yeah. laughs at Everyone this. Everyone laughs. And I don't think Travis Scott that we were laughing at Some, the thunder. Yeah, somehow he missed that. And so he's like, oh, that's yeah, that's pretty funny. They left me alone. They left. Well, you know, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I kind of felt for him because a similar thing happened to me at my TED Talk. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The audience was laughing at something on screen that oh. was behind me and I didn't know about it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And so I kind of felt for him like, that's an awkward thing to happen. That's funny. Or <laughs> you don't know why everyone's laughing. <laughs> he did say that they turned back around to come get him. But in the movie, a bunch of the guys demand to get out of the truck. But in reality, all of them came back together because you're not just going to leave people stranded in the middle of the forest. Oh, so, uh-huh. fine. But again, not a major plot change. Right. So he tells us he's passed five different lie detector tests and these tests are like impossible to fool. Yeah, he mentions. Like, first of all, they're not impossible to fool. They're bad science. But second of all, actually, I believe you, Travis Walton. I believe you that you think these things happened. Right. Yeah, that's not a- What's at issue? Yeah, exactly. What's at issue is could you believe they happened and they still didn't because these memories were implanted in you? So he keeps I talking agree. about yeah, him and his buddies all being lied, detected, and passing multiple times, except one time on a, a quiz show or some sort of like on the moment of truth. I think the called. moment of truth, yeah, yeah, this Fox show. He failed that one crucial polygraph test. But again, we don't care one way or the other. It doesn't right. say anything. We have uh, an episode about the voice polygraph that's pretty fun. Yeah, check that one out. He also was talking about independent evidence. They went back to the site and with a Geiger counter, they detected all this radiation. Uh-huh. And again, it's always just this really weak connection. What are you saying then about UFOs that they leave right. emissive materials right. that are radioactive? But then he was also talking about like the effects of electricity, like, well, which is it or is it both? And there doesn't seem to me to be a clear underlying theory of exactly what it is that UFOs are leaving mm-hmm. in that location. Yeah, it also just seems like this really advanced technology, like why is it radioactive? Why is it basically like toxic to us if it's like so peaceful and advanced and wonderful? Yeah. And then he was saying that, well, the radioactivity helps trees grow. And so the what? he was showing us like how they had measured the xylem and the phloem of these trees and it showed that there had been thicker growth rings facing the area of the UFO on all the trees around that area. Oh, trap. Yeah, and it oh, wasn't trap, consistent laugh. north or south. It was facing towards it. Yeah, I was just thinking like, okay, these aren't, this no. isn't real. No, travy wabby. No, no, no. 
All right. So in his telling, he came to and he felt suffocated, uh, like there was a sheet over his mouth, Mm -hmm. even though there wasn't a sheet over his mouth, but that's what it felt like, like he was being waterboarded, he said. Right. And he couldn't see. And then he backed up to a table of instruments and started throwing them at the aliens to protect himself. Yeah, he kind of grabbed whatever he could get in his hand and threatened the aliens with it. And they looked scared and kind of backed off from him. Right. He said the movie did a good job of depicting the difficulty breathing, even though there right. wasn't like this film over his face. He thought that captured the the essence the of this feeling. Right. right. And he said it was a good thing that the aliens actually took him aboard because that's probably what revived him from whatever electrical shock he suffered. Yeah. So he said his original reaction to all of this once it had been regressed was that he had these nightmares about their faces and it was just this awful imagery for him. But over time, now he's come to a place where he thinks that maybe their flying saucer traveling through the forest had built up maybe a bunch of static electricity and that zapped him. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe unintentional on their part. And so they took him up into the craft so that they could help revive him. And And he said, maybe it's like an ambulance call. And later on in the Q&A, it came up that, you know, maybe it was like, uh, you know, someone who accidentally injures an animal and then wants to take care of him. The animal comes to and like, oh, no, you're awful. I'm going to attack you. I'm in a strange Mm -hmm. place. So that's all fair. Yeah. Had you ever seen this illustration before? I don't think so. Okay. It was fun to see him present this picture of him on the spaceship with these white aliens with the large eyes. Interestingly, not like solid black eyes. They have pupils and irises and they're wearing orange jumpsuits. I just remember seeing this in so many early documentaries about Oh, okay. This is what I did in high school. I watched alien documentaries all the time. Okay. I noticed at this point that there was a woman in the front row who was crocheting as she listened. Multitasking. I like it. So the aliens move him to another room. He's babbling. They're a lot stronger than he is. And they put a mask on him that makes him unconscious. He had a diagram that he had drawn of the room. So he had escaped out of this, what he thinks was a little chamber attached to the center. And then he'd gone in and he saw this console that they would use to control the craft. And then the lights changed around him so that all of a sudden became like a window to the outside and he could see stars. So he knew he was out in space. Mm -hmm. And then he escaped down like another hallway. So he had these schematics that kind of showed, oh, here's the overall shape of the craft, as far as I can tell, and here's the parts that I saw of it as I made my exit journey. okay. But yeah, I guess they kind of knocked him out again, and when he came to, then this man walked into his holding cell or wherever he was, and it was a human, like a blonde human. So yet again, we've got our blonde human-looking alien, and so this guy comes and wordlessly kind of grabs Travis and leads him nicely, but assuredly out Mm -hmm. and so they go into this large bay and he can see other craft or other objects that are kind of oval shaped and metallic there in this bay and he leads him out we get another diagram of that and eventually they deposit him out a door and leave him on the side of the road a road that he recognizes but in a different place from where he had originally been picked up five days earlier And he didn't realize this. He thought this had all been in the course of one night. But now here he is and he learns that, you know, five days have gone missing. Right. And so around this point, we're an hour and 11 minutes into this talk when he mentions for the first time his hypnotist. Yeah. Now, he hasn't mentioned this at all. What I mentioned about the hypnotic regression in the movie, Mm -hmm. he hasn't even mentioned at this point. 
But yeah, he's like, oh yeah, okay. And so then like I needed the help of this hypnotist to do hypnotic regression. It's like, oh wait, okay, hang on, yeah, hang yeah, yeah. on, this hang on. This isn't your trip to Disneyland. This is different. You forgot all of this and then had to have a hypnotist. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he says like, but she couldn't have planted it because the other guys remember seeing it as well. But it's like- all they remember seeing is this. One small piece of this. Right. They didn't see anything on the spacecraft. Right. Consider those as separate events, Travis. Right. Yeah. So they walked him through these memories and implanted them. Yeah, that's how it seems. And I'm not even saying that they necessarily gave him super suggestive language and told him what he was seeing. Right. But just by working through it, your brain can create that picture. And now that is just as good as a memory. In mm -hmm. fact, maybe stronger. Mm -hmm. Yep. So one of his theories that I think you really liked yeah. is that Travis says, well, people say that if aliens come, they would announce themselves. Right. But he says, well, I think, no, you know, they have something more like the prime directive in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. They don't want to interfere. And so when they accidentally do, sure, they try to cover it up. That makes a lot of sense to me. If we had the ability to go to other planets and observe them at will, I think we would do something very similar where we'd try not to be seen. And then I feel like that is a more parsimonious and more common sense explanation for what we, quote unquote, observe in the world. So these craft that disappear immediately, that would explain them trying to stay hidden. And then I think you'd have to take all of these extraneous little stories about people being taken up or given personal messages or whatever as being kind of these fringy outliers that are maybe untrue, built up around this underlying real phenomena of aliens trying to transparently quietly visit here. Wait, why would you have to write off some as untrue? Because I don't think they fit in with that story where the aliens are purposefully trying to share their message with us oh, that they're uh -huh. here. Right. I think we could write off those stories as being mm -hmm. kind of imaginary, mm -hmm. but you'd be left with that underlying reality, which would make a lot more sense. So I felt like he presented the most rational viewpoint. But then if we accept that viewpoint, it's like, so why are we here? Because Shouldn't you be keeping their secret trap. <laughs> Right, because we are the few who know that this is a real thing. But yeah, if they don't want us to know about their presence, why are we sharing it? Yeah. And yeah, I, I was wondering at this point if any of the other speakers were actively disagreeing with this, because I think that their messages of the aliens trying to share this message with us so we can kind of share it out with others evangelically mm -hmm. is really at odds with what he was saying. And I mean, Travis is seemingly dedicating a lot of his life to sharing the message. For sure, but not because they ever told him to do that. Oh, I know, but it just seems like, yeah, he's at, like a he's betrayal. At odds. Oh, right. So, yeah. He should be keeping their secret for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, all right. They saved his life on that ambulance. So yeah, I, I felt he came across as being one of the more level-headed, kind of rational mm -hmm. people on the stage. And uh, yeah, I like what he had to say. And, and in fact, he was just saying some kind of uh, nice level-headed things about the science of life on other planets and all of it was fairly accurate. So yeah, I didn't yeah, have much to criticize. Yeah, he had one fun line. People think it's kooky to say there's life out there, but I say it's kooky to say there isn't. And he got like a round of applause. Yeah, right. and like, well, yeah, yeah I actually kind of face, agree with I that. Agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so his talk, again, kind of fizzled out. The last thing he said was, well, that's the reason I'm still talking about it. Uh, here's my website. 
And then we uh, we went into the Q&A. He did. And he left room for a and a Yeah, there was actually time to ask questions. I will say he also took some time to bash Philip Class some more. Sure. And saying some, do it. some of the things that Philip Class had said about him that were just outlandish. He didn't mention, I think, one of Class's maybe more interesting claims, and that was that those loggers had a contract that yeah. specified they had to finish their job by a certain time. They weren't going to make that that deadline and one of the outs for that contract was an act of god essentially and Uh that him going missing for all these days from a ufo event could then qualify as that act of god oh uh interesting so the first woman in the q a asked if he's ever been taken again and he said well i've had interesting experiences but um i want to stick to what i can most document he said, I did think that I saw another UFO in Burbank. And, yeah, when he was at a conference there. Yeah, and he said, you know, like Burbank is just stacked with people. I'm sure that lots of other people saw this. Um, you know, I live I, in Burbank. Uh, yeah, I wasn't able to document that one. And so I like to stick to what I can document. Respectable position. Sure. There were three women in line. What did the third woman have to say? Uh, was that me? That was you. Okay. Um, so I asked how long it took till he realized he needed hypnotic regression. So uh-huh. I was kind of curious about this period between losing his memories and regaining it. I felt like that's kind of a critical little period. Yeah. But I was trying to be respectful of uh-huh. what this guy's been through. So I was putting it in a delicate way. And he didn't quite answer that directly, but he ended up saying something really interesting. He said, well, you know, actually, after the movie came out, I started to get more memories. And the memories were a lot like the movie. (laughs) So I, at first I thought, oh, well, those aren't real memories. Those are just the movie. Correct. End of story. Yeah. These are just imaginings coming from the movie. But then I talked. Oh no, to, he kept going. Yeah, but then I talked to to the director, I think, and uh, and my therapist, and we realized no, those are real <laughs> memories. Well, Carrie, that sounds very interesting. Thank but you. I I feel like I need some entertainment right now. That's just am I not entertaining? You're, you? I mean, you're entertaining, but I I just want to know about like another show, a different kind of show. Whoa, Look, I, I like to mix this it is up. Really aggressive. Ross. I like to, I like to mix it up. Okay, I'll come right. back. I'll come back. But you tell just me like a to story. Experiment. Tell me a story about a Max Fun show. Okay. Well, once upon a time. A lot of times, my instincts are are wrong. They're mostly wrong, but they're not wrong in the sense that like I misread somebody. They're just extremely limited to my you know to my idea of who they are. That was Mark Marin. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm the host of NPR's Bullseye. I'm so excited to tell you about my new show, The Turnaround. Join me as I sit down with some of the best interviewers in the world to ask them about how and why they do what they do. We'll go deep. Some of the biggest names in media, everybody from Terry Gross to Jerry Springer to Combat Jack. That's all on The Turnaround, two episodes a week this summer. Subscribe now. Tell a friend. Well, during the break, we got to talk to Owl Guy. So we played it super cool this time. Yeah. Maybe too cool. We were worried about that afterwards. Like, oh, man, I think we were both trying to reestablish that we were normal Normal people. people. And that urge won over our goal to make this guy uncomfortable, (laughs) which is probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. We we return to our normal status as human beings. But anyway, yeah, I wanted to ask him if he knew about Twin Peaks having this running owl theme. Oh, yeah, he knew that. 
Yeah, he did. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few things people always bring up, and one is the Twin Peaks thing. I mentioned that my wife had remembered that one of our friends of a friend had told us at a party that she had a theory about owls and spiritual owlity. Whoa, that can't be a coincidence. (laughs) And uh, so I'm actually going to contact her and just mention this guy in case she wants to follow up with him. And right after we talked with him, then the wife from the couple, the fuchsia hair lady, she came over to us, and it was really sweet. She said that- Oh, yeah. She had been really reluctant to sign up for the speaker's dinner because she's just not very social, kind of introverted. She wasn't sure what she would do there. And she said that she was so happy she sat next to us that we entertained her and she really enjoyed the conversation. That was sweet. She started this by saying, so, and I thought (laughs) she looked us up, but she didn't. When we came back into the conference room, I did see Deborah Cobble standing by herself for a bit. And she was the last one who I'd really wanted to ask a question of. She had been that early abductee. And so I came up to her and I asked my question, which was, how do you reconcile this positive message that you feel the aliens have given you about love and oneness mm-hmm. with the the pain and fear of the experiences you've had. Yeah. It sounds like you've had some legitimate trauma from all this. Uh, why would they do that to you if they were trying to give you this really kind message to share with the world? And her first response, it was weird because it felt like she hadn't considered that before. Her oh, wow. first response was just, oh, well, you know, to really appreciate the good things, you have to be able to contrast them with the bad. That immediately makes me think of someone who's in an abusive relationship making excuses for their bad boyfriend. Right. Like, but it doesn't have to be that bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't quite buying that. I think she kept kind of building up on that answer and said, well, you know, it's also helped me to, by telling these stories, I can help others who have similar experiences. And again, I'm thinking, well, why would they have the same experiences? Got the same problem. Like, why perpetuate all this fear and anxiety? Mm Mm-hmm. And then I think she kind of reached that point and realized, you know what, though, I've learned from this experience personally, and I've grown personally. And so I feel like I've gotten to a really healthy place after all this. Okay. Yeah, but just from the way she described things, she still seems pretty negatively affected by it all. Yeah. So yeah, it was interesting. And and then I had sort of gotten my answer. And I was like, oh, well, thank you for answering that. And she almost felt like I was just kind of dismissing her walking way too quickly, but I wasn't sure how to continue the conversation. So Mm, it was mm. kind of an awkward little, okay, bye now. Oh, weird. But Mm. now it was time for... The speakers panel. Yeah, last big event of the day. All the speakers were going to come up (laughs) front and uh, just sit up at a table there and we could ask them questions. And if we didn't ask them questions now... That's on us. That's on us. (laughs) Now we're both thinking, oh God, there's like 500 people. This is going to be so hard to get a question in. Yeah, so And and they're all going to... We've been to these conferences where people ramble and ask these long questions. Who knows with this audience? It's going to take forever for us to get a question in edgewise. Boy, were we wrong. Yeah. So while they're setting all this up and they're reminding us all, you know, make sure to ask a question. Don't tell us your long story. Mm-hmm. There's, Good advice. There's like two or three people standing in the line to ask questions. We're like, oh, okay. Are you sure? 
I was like, I guess I'll ask a question. Yeah. So I wandered back, went through the room, and I ended up like number three or four in line. I almost followed you, and I thought, well, I'll stay and watch our stuff, and then like get in line when he's you'd already back over had a here. question for Travis mm-hmm. recently. Yes, yeah, so you were biding your time, but yeah, the line didn't really build up that much. But it did turn out it took quite a while for the panel to answer each question. Yes, because they would go through those many different people, and and a couple people on the panel are a little long winded. Oh my goodness, they had also been introducing themselves or like giving right. their kind of closing remarks, uh, right. so that took a while too. So first, Owl Guy needs to say that he's intimidated to call all these people peers Mm -hmm. because, you know, he's Owl Guy. And I could see this look on Stanton Friedman's face. I really think he was like, you're not my peer. You are Owl Man. At this moment, it really drove home to me that they had all stayed in agreement. Yeah. I, I think they had been maybe coached in advance like, hey, guys, let's present a unified front. Yeah. Like two parents, you know, saying like, don't contradict me in front of the kids. Right. You know, uh-huh. it, because I feel like some of them were saying contradictory things or some would go off on these kind of wild little tangents and no one would ever call them on it or disagree. On right. It. So smart. Right. Kathleen said she met some hypnotherapists here and she's very impressed. They were all trained in the Dolores Cannon method and she's just <laughs> so impressed with them. Stanton said it's such a positive environment here. Uh, not a bunch of people griping about how the world doesn't accept ufology because we accept it here. Yeah, they sure do. The guy right in front of me in the question line, he asked this kind of glowing question saying, oh, you guys have done so much for the world. And all I want to know is how can I pass it on? What can we do to make the world a better place? Oh, is this the same guy? What's the best way to bring this information forward? Yeah. And so they took turns talking about how to share it with others and how it's important to kind of be heard and be that voice. And I felt like a lot of this was a really good setup for my question because they were talking about kind of dealing with critical voices. Actually, there's a nuclear war on Mars. <laughs> yeah. So that's where... Linda. So I was already like to transition in my question, be like, that's a really good setup. And then, yeah, Linda Moulton Howe just went off on this weird... You see, on Mars, you can find evidence of nuclear war. If you take samples of the core, you will see that there are all of these things that would not exist unless there was nuclear fallout. Does that mean that there was nuclear war and there was a prior civilization and now they want us to know so that the same thing doesn't happen here? I think so. I'm Linda Moulton Howe. <laughs> that totally threw a monkey wrench in <laughs> my nice little transition because that had nothing to do with anything that had just been said. So now it was my turn to ask a question. There's no follow-up after her her Mars nuclear fallout. I, I'm surprised you were even able to get that from what she said. I just <laughs> sat there staring like, what are you saying? <laughs> It has nothing to do with that guy's question. So I had to kind of reboot this. And my question was essentially what the role could be for critical voices, for skeptics. Is there a reasonable position for someone to have not maybe experienced all of this firsthand as many people here had and to withhold their assent to this general thesis? Mm -hmm. And does it ever help them to stay honest to have that voice out there that is critical or, you know, has a high standard of evidence. They they had some, I think, some reasonable answers to it. And most of it was an exhortation to everybody there to, yeah, really, you know, be careful about 
your sources, don't spread bad information. So all of that was good. But there was also this discomfort in all Clearly. your answers. Yeah, I think everyone was like, what's your deal, guy? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't feel, I certainly didn't feel any of them were hostile. But then again, the, no. the way it was set up when you're asking the question, you are at a far tangent. So people on the panel can't even see you. Oh, uh-huh. so it wasn't easy for me to see what their reaction was. But I didn't sense any outright hostility. No, I didn't feel like they were hostile. But I did just feel like everyone was like, oh, they spun it to a, a good place. And I think mm-hmm. gave the most reasonable answers they could about uh, being open to critical voices. But also but they were also quick to be like, yeah, of course, everyone should have evidence. But the people who sort of their hobby horse is to knock down our positions. Right. They're the worst and we should all hate them. You can be knee-jerk in both directions. Mm-hmm. And so the ones that we really fault are the ones that just assume that we're wrong off the bat. And then James Clarkson, he was saying that he always talks to his kind of inner... The rational man. The, the rational man, that's it. He has this separate personality that he bounces ideas off of to see, you know, what would a rational person say in this case? So that was all fair. Mm-hmm. My question was, all right, but when I sat down, the next woman had oh the best question okay, of now, the conference. <laughs> everybody can now go to my YouTube and see this because I was filming your question and their answer <laughs> and I continued filming through both Forrest picking up the mic when you left because he had some commentary to add. And then the next, so much. the next woman who spoke, whose question was oh, man. basically, hi, I work with Chris the wizard. <laughs> And I just wondered if you had any commentary for people like me, for all of us who were born after 1997 and have had our memories erased. (laughs) No, mind you, she's in her 40s at least. Yeah, at least. Um, She wasn't born yesterday. uh, All of us who have had our memories erased and are actually more than 200 years older than we think. Yeah, I had exited the room to come back to our seat, and I'm sitting down right as she's starting to talk about how we're all 200 years older than we think, (laughs) and how we missed an intergalactic war in 1997. So there's just utter silence on the panel. The panel just sits there. She tries to clarify, there was an intergalactic war in 1997. Would Would anyone like to speak to that? I, (laughs) I would like to get your impression of that war that happened. And she's starting to look like a little flustered, like, why isn't anyone speaking? Just complete silence. So finally, Travis says... And I looked at the audience again, like, okay, this time, finally, please, someone's got me back up. And there actually were a few titters. Yes. So for once... This is the line. Someone had my back. (laughs) Yeah, this is the line. People remember 1997 (laughs) and they're uncomfortable. And so Travis leans forward after... This interminable silence, this embarrassing silence, and says, well, the, the only reason I don't have anything to say about that is because I've never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> and then she finally she looks at the other speakers. No one says anything. And she lifts her arms up and shrugs grandly and is like, well, okay, thanks, I guess. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your time and for everything you do. Uh, yeah, that oh was that was amazing. The complete awkwardness of it. That was so good. Later in the car, we would pull up Chris the Wizard's YouTube account. Uh-huh. And it's, it's so utter insanity. Yeah, the the one we listened to was pretty sad. him playing a recorded message from Michael the Angel. Uh, no, someone 
pretending to be yes an imposter uh, the archangel i was gonna reveal that yeah but uh he'd left a message on his machine and it was just this complete gobbledygook radio sounds and i just wanted to know again it drove me crazy like where did you even get this sound that you generated and played for us i felt like that guy was just probably not mentally ill Yeah. yeah But I got up to ask a question. Mm -hmm. I had like a few questions in mind, but we had a hard out because we needed to go back to the airport and we hit my heart out before I could go up and ask my question. So we had to kind of shuffle off and wave goodbye to everybody sitting around us. We had made our friends there. It was especially sad to wave goodbye to Bob and Pat, who'd been sitting next to us. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, a little earlier, I had talked with Bob, and he was telling me about how he was eager to go back and see his pastor and tell him about this, but that his pastor thinks he's a little crazy for all this <laughs> UFO stuff. Real sweet. The sweet, sweet moment. Then we went to get an obscenely expensive Easter brunch accidentally. Oh. Oh my goodness. We thought we were just stopping for quick food. At Murdy Mays. At Murdy Mays. Favorite place. I really wanted a veggie burger. And they made us wait 20 minutes for a seat. And then it turned out they only had Easter brunch. And they didn't advertise the price. And it was what, like 25 bucks per person. God, it was so terrible. Yeah, it really was. On on our way out, we saw Stanton Friedman sitting there. Yes. And so I said, Great conference. And he said, Yes. And I said, Yes. Yeah, there were like two things we said to him, and both of them he answered with, yes, yeah. yes. And so Carrie says back to him as we leave, yes. <laughs> you know, it's such a clearly like kind of mocking thing. <laughs> but whatever, Stan Friedman will never see us again yeah. and never remember that. Oh, well. But he now has 12 hecklers to remember. Maybe 13 if he gets <laughs> me. Maybe he's like, she was heckling me. Oh, yeah. I she was heckled count- me at the restaurant. I was counting you. Oh, okay. But you got to count you for asking that critical <laughs> right. question. 13 hecklers. But four of them were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Then we drove to the airport, got our rental car into the space at 3.33 p.m. That's absolutely true. We got there at exactly 3.33. And we didn't try for it. I just happened to look down at my Fitbit. And, and that was, exactly was a synchronicity. And synchronicity equals owls. And owls equals, equals UFOs. UFOs. <laughs> and your prediction for how much you had spent at the conference was $40. You spent $35. Yeah, I think I was $5 under. You were $5 over. Yep, I predicted $75. I spent $80. Okay. Amazing. And that was our UFO experience. Wait, hang on. Very important thing happened at the airport. Yeah? We saw four owls. Did we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> we went into the gift shop and there were four stuffed animal owls. Like so, beanie baby owls or something. So we immediately took a picture, found Owl Guy's email on the internet. Oh, okay, we were so excited. I was like, take it easy on Owl Guy, okay? <laughs> and so I emailed him and I was like, hey, hey, Mike, we found these owls. What do you think they mean? <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually say that? No, I CC'd you. Okay. But I say, I think I was pretty cool. As Drew came to pick us up at the airport, I told him, keep an eye on Carrie. Make sure she doesn't pick on Owl Guy too much. (laughs) I'm not picking on him. I love him. (laughs) Make sure she doesn't love him too much. (laughs) I feel like Owl Guy needs protection. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for an excellent talk at the Ozark Conference and for fielding our questions. Just wanted to let you know, when we got to the airport, these four owls were waiting for us. The fourth one was just barely out of view of the camera initially because you moved it kind of into sight and you can see your hand. Right. Carrie and Ross. And then I CC'd you and I put the picture of the four owls. 
and he has smartly not responded to us. He hasn't responded yet. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so it was a fantastic trip, uh, an amazing UFO conference. So amazing that I think we'll have to do another UFO conference. I'll be down for that. It's going to be a hoot. And we'll save our ratings for after our summer of UFO is complete. Ah, okay. We will we will give a rating for UFO conferences in general once we have experienced the gamut of the UFO experience. From Arkansas to California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If California does not slough off into the ocean <laughs> in the meantime. Yeah, Jerry's wish. Per Jerry. Yeah. Oh, and for the record, I did call back the Ozark Mountain Best Western, asked for the receptionist there. Turns out she was working the late shift. So called back in the middle of the night and told her that we had learned from the people we had dinner with that Zechariah Sitchin is someone she should look into about planet Nibiru and the ancient Sumerian gods. And a search on Coast to Coast would also yield a bunch of information if you typed in Sumeria, Sumerian, or Nibiru. And she seemed really thrilled with that and that we'd uh, followed up. So that was nice. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our show is produced and co-edited by Ian Kramer. You can find us on facebook.com forward slash onrack. That is the place to go because we are almost uh, every day, at least multiple times per week, we're posting cool supplemental photos and video and things that we're doing and you can interact with us. It's a good place to hang out. Maybe you want to see a video of Ross asking a good question and then a lady asking a question about Eric the Wizard. A better question. <laughs> and a great place to, to be part of the community. So do that and also go to iTunes and leave us a positive review. That's a really great way you can support us. A positive review. And you can go to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate to become a member and support this investigation and all our future investigations. That would be awesome. Oh, hey, see? There you go. (laughs) And remember. And uh, I didn't know uh, on the YouTube channel that I work with, Chris the Wizard, Uh, He's talking about all of us having our memories wiped who were born after 1997 uh, and that we're all 200 years older than we think we are. And I wondered if anybody wanted to comment uh, about uh, the intergalactic war in 1996 that we had to lose our memories about. Yeah, do they want to comment about the war? in 1996. And if not, does anyone want to comment about the merging timelines? Well, the reason I'm not commenting is because I haven't heard about any of that. Okay. Yeah, well, Chris the Wizard talks about everything that David and Corey talk about, but a little bit more, because he's channeling uh, Michael and Valiant Thor, and the work that Valiant Thor continues to do today. So, well, um, thank you all for, for coming. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm Danielle Radford. I am Michael Eagle. And we are the hosts of Tights and Fights, Maximum Fun's newest podcast dedicated to all things wrestling. We'll be talking about Sasha Banks, the women's revolution, Sasha Banks, the brand split, and Sasha Banks' wigs. And we'll also be talking about wrestler fashion. 
Some wrestlers wear too many clothes. Some wrestlers don't wear enough clothes at all. And I'll be doing impressions of all your favorite wrestlers. New episodes Thursdays on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh yeah, dig it. Ties and Bites Podcast. Ties and Bites. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.